Are you ready for the end of the world? You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. This is Ord Energy Mon, and I always forget that next part. Oh, yes. I'm going to have to re-memorize. It's bringing back the circle. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to I've, restudy I've, it. I've been doing that same promo for, well, I think it's, is it going to be 15 years? No, it's definitely 14 years. We're working on the 15th year. Yeah. Um, you said you play that song because of the Greenpeace uh, quote-unquote pirates? Yes, uh, yes. Some people were billed as pirates for doing a protest on the seas related to oil. We talked about that story last week. And afterwards, during the day, I played a song about pirates. But then I thought, oh, next week when I get in, I've got to play the pirate song. Because <laughs> if they're called... I mean, I don't... Can, I don't consider them pirates. Even Vladimir Putin doesn't consider them pirates. Uh, but if they're being charged with piracy, well, then let's have a song to celebrate pirates. I guess they couldn't figure out anything else to charge them with. Yeah. There was, there was something like that in Putin's quote where he's like, obviously they're not pirates, but we're going to charge them with something. <laughs> and they chose to charge them with piracy. Well, how about this? An American sues the whole Canadian government over fracking. Hmm. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's just like... A- um, not an American. American company sues Canada over fracking moratorium. Quebec isn't entirely sure about this whole fracking thing. Amid the reports from across the continent of groundwater contamination, air pollution, deforestation, and other environmental side effects of hydraulic fracturing, the Canadian province has placed the moratorium on the practice beneath the St. Lawrence River. Now, that doesn't sit well with the Lone Pine Resources a Delaware-based company that has long eyed the oil and gas that's locked up in the shale beneath the Grand Waterway. The company claims it spent millions to get the appropriate permits to drill, and now that the fossil fuel seems to get out of reach, it says Canadians need to pony up more than $250 million in compensation. The company last month submitted a claim. Now, if you want a link to the claim detail... Um, please send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org, and we will um, send you a link to the claim. 
Now, the claim um, has been submitted to an international arbitration system seeking damages because of, quote, Quebec's arbitrary and illegal revocation of its valuable right to mine for <laughs> oil and gas under the St. Lawrence River, end quote. <laughs> the claim is based on Chapter 11 of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which allows private companies to sue governments when laws hurt their expected profits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, it's hard, hard to believe the audacity of this country, you know, or this, this country, this company. <laughs> they're going to another country, and they're saying, you know, well, because we filled out some permits... You know, we are not going to sacrifice our right to take your resources under your land. And, you know, the, the country is saying, well, we want to, you know, pause this until we can study it. Because yeah. it seems like there's a lot of devastation that happens afterwards. Yeah. Now, what they could do is now require the company to put up a deposit, right? When you rent a room that you, you know, are... are um, possibility going to trash. <laughs> yeah, you, you put, up a, put up a deposit. Yeah. I mean, that's common practice. If you rent a hotel room, you have to put up a credit card, and that's your deposit. Yeah. Well, here's a chance for a company to come in and trash their pristine river. So, okay, if you want to do it, you have to put up $250 million deposit <laughs> against the the trashing, and then you can do business, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the, the they sh they shouldn't have put a moratorium. They're just like, if you want to do business, put up a deposit. Yeah, put down a deposit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I bet even then they would have sued him. They just seem very sue happy. It makes it brings me uh, concerns over what'll happen when you know. I'll say when, not if, but when a moratorium passes in other parts of the U.S. Now the thing is, is if this goes through, they say they've they've spent millions of dollars. Okay. But they're asking for $250 million. Yeah. So, I mean, if the judge even allows it, they'll be like, well, you know, maybe we give you back, you know, what you've spent already. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if but, corporations can ask for pain and suffering, you know. Like an individual, if something's done wrong to them, they can say, well, you know, I, I only lost this many hours of work, but it also caused pain and suffering. So maybe, maybe that's where they get this $250 million figure. Like, oh, all our executives were so stressed out because we thought we were going to lose our profits. Hmm. I should have my company sue, some, sue the government for pain and suffering for... The, the, the state of Illinois has a state rebate mm -hmm. that they advertise heavily and fund it poorly. Yeah. And last year, the money was available for uh, three weeks, <laughs> officially. Yeah. Now, realistically, I had people apply the first day that didn't get the money. Yeah. <laughs> so, really, they ran out of money the first day. Yeah. So, I, my company has the right to sue the, the, the state for pain and suffering for promoting a program that they don't fund. Uh, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Is that possible? That's apparently the, the perspective of corporations nowadays. <laughs> huh. I'm going to think about that one. Yeah. It's been, it's well, been... if, the, if the fossil fuel industry can do it, why not the renewable industry? <laughs> like, uh, like... All right. Well, let's, let's get on to some, some fond farewells. <laughs> do, uh, do we have any, like, twilight music or, like, doom and gloom music? You talk and I'll do the do do do. Say goodbye to Yosemite's last glacier. Well, Glacier National Park hasn't had glaciers since. Um, 
I forgot now, like the 70s. Yeah, post-glacier national park. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a post-modern world with post-glacier glacier parks. Well, we can't go say goodbye, though. Yosemite is closed. Yes, hasta la vista, glacier. How can how, <laughs> We can't have a goodbye party when you can't go to the home of the person leaving. Yeah, maybe that's why they're doing the whole government shutdown, is they wanted us to not go to the park and see that the glaciers are melting. That could be our conspiracy theory for the day. <laughs> just like, that is, yeah. So, the world's glaciers are withering quickly, but... Yes, uh, <coughs> researchers say they are contributing to nearly one-third of sea level rise. So they're not going away entirely, they're just getting... Yes, they're melting, melting and filling the seas. <laughs> and while the glaciers in California's uh, Yosemite National Park aren't the largest... They are suffering the same alarming fate as their icy ilk in other parts of the world. The granite cliffs and valleys were carved during the Ice Age as glaciers expanded. Now these vestigial masses of ice are mostly retreating and fast. The park employs a full-time glaciologist, Greg Stock, who recently returned from a trek to Lyell Glacier, which is the park's largest he told the L.A. Times that it had shrunk visibly since he made the same backcountry hike last year. Uh, the glacier has dropped 62% of its mass and lost 120 vertical feet of ice over the last 100 years. Quote, We give it 20 years or so of existence. Then it'll vanish, leaving behind rocky debris, Stock said. Stock warned that when the glaciers disappear, steady water supplies that feed the park's meadows and other ecosystems will disappear with them. Quote, we don't know what the impacts of that will be on plants and animals that evolved with these ice flows, he told the newspaper. Yeah, we don't know for certain because it hasn't happened before, but I imagine losing a steady source of water for meadows is not a good thing. Well, they're already having that happen in the Himalayan region, that there are mass, mass, mass um, climate refugees. Yeah. Because there's no longer that ice melt that creates the rivers coming off of the mountain. And so there's just people who have traditionally survived there no longer can. And yeah. so they are having to move. Um, speaking of climate refugees, climate refugees fighting to stay in New Zealand. A Kiribati couple and their children have left their island home for New Zealand seeking refuge from rising seas. And the fate of their immigration case could shape the future for thousands of other climate refugees. More than 100,000 people who live on the low-lying Pacific Ocean are desperately seeking new homes, with waves already submerging some of its 32 coral uh, atolls. What's the difference between an atoll and a reef? I, it just it sticks up a little bit above? Yeah, I always forget the exact difference between some of these, like, peninsulas and, like, you know, what different formations on the ocean. Yeah, I would assume an atoll... If I'm even pronouncing it right, sticks above the water, and yeah. the reef is just below the water. Yeah, I think that's I think so. that's the case. But whatever they are, they're starting to submerge. They're becoming underwater features. So. Now attention has turned to the case of a 37-year-old and his wife and kids who are seeking. Um, it's not political asylum, but yeah, just asylum. Yeah, yeah, it's just climate. Climate asylum. Yeah, just like... It may become a special process that, you know, becomes streamlined in the future. So just, oh, here's the climate asylum form. So they're, they're seeking asylum in New Zealand after fleeing six years ago. Here's the story the man told New 
Zealand's Immigration Tribunal, and this is uh, via the Associated Press. The man said that around 1998, King Tides began regularly breaching the seawalls around his village, which was overcrowded and had no sewage system. He said the foul drinking water would make people vomit and that there were no higher ground that would allow villagers to escape the knee-deep water. He said returning to the island would endanger the lives of his two youngest children. Quote, There's no future for us when we go back to Kiribata, he told the tribunal, according to the transcript, especially for my children. There's nothing for us there. So... Yeah, that's a tough situation to deal with. It's it's something that was warned about 5, 10, 15 years ago, climate refugees, but now it's a reality. And a lot of those islands are just barely above sea level. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, and that's part of how you can tell it's one of the signs of climate change is that, you know, they're barely above sea level, but for, in some cases, thousands of years, people have lived on the islands. But now sea level is rising and they're unable to. But in response to climate change, some people are doing adaptation measures. This one comes from Wisconsin. Climate adaptation goes mainstream in Wisconsin. Federal agencies released their plans for adapting to climate change in February. The European Commission approved its adaptation strategy in April. New York unveiled a $19.5 billion plan in June. Oh, wait a second. $19.5 billion dollar plan yes to just adapt to climate change that's not even the and that's one city that's one yeah <laughs> okay wow it's expensive this is starting to be some of those costs that people forecasted in recent years and new york is joining the likes of like london chicago and um yeah quito ecuador yeah <laughs> Yeah, but it's not just for big cities Chicago anymore. Chicago has an adaptation plan? Yeah. Chicago does. Does Southern Illinois? Like, is, is Chicago getting ahead of the game of Southern Illinois? Are we going to let them? Uh, <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to look into that. Chicago has a climate adaptation plan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Southern Illinois does quite yet. Now, it's not just for the big players. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, today, uh, earlier this week in Dane County, Wisconsin... It has a population of 500,000. Oh, come on. That's a big player. <laughs> yeah. We're in Southern Illinois. 500,000 people in one county? <laughs> what sort of overpopulated place do you live in? <laughs> but, yeah, relative to Chicago, that's not all that many people. But five, a county of 500,000 people in Wisconsin are proposing a budget that includes nearly $1 million worth of climate adaptation spending aimed at everything from new stormwater infrastructure to sandbags and other emergency equipment. Uh, th- that reminds me of a story um, that happened, I don't know if it was this spring. Yeah, I think it was this spring, where all of a sudden there was a big <coughs> snowstorm in Wisconsin, and they're used to snowstorms. But this time it was so late in the year that they had already put away all their snow equipment. Yeah. And, you know, literally they actually, things stopped. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't like a, a little snowstorm. It was a, you know, a decent-sized snowstorm, even by their standards. But usually they have all equipment out there and the roads cleared by the time people wake up. Yeah. That's but, the time to worry is when the people of Wisconsin are not prepared for snow. <laughs> we joke a little bit about how in southern Illinois it's infrequent enough, you know, the heavy snows that people aren't always ready for it. But when Wisconsin is caught unaware by a snowstorm, 
That is one of the signs of climate change. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is they are now preparing for warmer and wetter weather. Yeah. And so they're actually planning, you know, so. Um, so counties with 500,000 people or less are starting to plan for climate change. Is your county planning for climate change? They're actually predicting by 2050 that um, Wisconsin's statewide national average would are likely to warm by 6 degrees Fahrenheit. And where the, they'll actually have three or more weeks per summer where the temperatures exceed 90 degrees. <laughs> you know, um, that's not a big deal for us, but yeah. they are, what, like a day's drive north of us. Yeah, they are. So it's, it's much cooler there, and that is unusual for them. They're going to have to adapt to the heat. They'll, they'll be coming to southern Illinois for advice on how to adapt to the heat. All right, let's see some other news. Big Coal buries Obama's renewable-friendly energy regulator. <laughs> Anyone casting an eye down the desolate ha hallway of furloughed federal department might conclude that Congress is incapable of doing anything. Well, that's not quite true. This week, it succeeded in hounding a well-qualified energy regulator out of the reg energy regulating job to which he had been nominated. President Obama had nominated Ron Bintz to lead the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, but only after being attacked, but after being attacked for weeks by coal companies and their Republican and Democratic friends in Congress, the former chair of the Colorado Public Utilities Commission on Tuesday gave up any hope of securing the blessing he needed from lawmakers. Why all the hate? Because Bintz supports solar and wind power, renewable forms of energy, that he has concluded can help America hedge against the economic volatility and environmental hazards posed by fossil fuels. <laughs> so. Yeah, really controversial there, you know, uh, renewable energy. What was it? It's, I, I, I think I always mess up uh, Mahatma Gandhi's quote, but it's, first they ignore you, then, then they laugh at you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Yeah. Then you win. Then you win. Yeah. So we're at the they're we're at, at the, the fighting, fighting stage. So. Yeah, that's a good sign <laughs> when you put it, like when you put it that way. I am also relieved that with a headline like that, big coal buries Obama's renewable friendly regulator. <laughs> that they didn't literally bury him. He's still alive there somewhere. We think. I would like to keep an eye on him to be sure they don't take him out. <laughs> All right. So here's here's a follow up on a story we mentioned once or twice earlier. <laughs> Lawmakers seek answers after oil gushes during Colorado floods. More than 60,000 gallons of oil and other petrochemical-laced fluids are now confirmed to have been spilled from fracking operations during recent floods in Colorado, and two Congress members are calling for a hearing into the toxic eruption. State officials have been doing their best to track the oil spills that killed uh, eight amid floods that killed eight and destroyed 1,800 homes. In an update published earlier this week, Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission said it's tracking 14 notable spills with an estimated 44,000 gallons. It's also monitoring 12 leaks of produced water with an estimated 17,000 gallons of water polluted with oil and gas residue from fracking. So it's two representatives, Jared Polis and Peter DeFazio, uh, the ranking Democrats on the House Natural Resources Committee, think that that's pretty disturbing. Now it says effing disturbing. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> just like, now you're trying to... It, it, it doesn't actually have a bad word. It, you it could, censors you, itself. You, you yeah. could have said that. <laughs> just like... Yeah. 
But yeah, this um, I did want to mention this story because I remember seeing those pictures, and we have no way to share these pictures over the internet. But if you look online for Colorado, we can show fracking, them over the internet. You mean the radio? Over the radio, yeah. <laughs> the, we do have the technology to send them over the radio. If you think really closely and think the worst oily mess you possibly can, it's worse than that. <laughs> yeah. It's like some people have a good imagination. So so now we've got some figures on, you know, thousands of gallons, but it's hard to be sure exactly because some of it washes away, but they are starting to track it and figure out the damages. Well, how do you figure out the damage? I mean, oil can very easily contaminate millions of gallons. I mean, it, it yeah. takes very little oil to contaminate a lot of water. Yeah. You know, um, they don't really mix very well because, but um, they... Yeah, it's, it takes very little because it's yeah. on the surface and it's all, you know. And that situation was sort of a worst-case scenario because, you know, let's say you have, you know, nice weather conditions and a tanker truck turns over and it spills everywhere. Then all the disaster crews can be focused on trying to clean up the oil, trying to be sure it doesn't get into waterways. But if it's the middle of a flood, they're worrying about saving people's lives. You know, they're not worried about somewhere out in the farmland there being a tanker of oil turned over. They're trying to save someone who's dying in a flood. So then all of the oil spreads everywhere before they can do anything about it. So it's very concerning. If only we could use kids to fuel our homes and cars so they'd be useful for something. <laughs> Sounds fun. Wait, that came out wrong. But for Empower Playgrounds, it came out right. This merry-go-round turns kid energy to clean energy. That's right. A nonprofit called Empower Playgrounds has developed a way to harness the energy of kids playing in order to provide electricity to poor rural villages in Africa. I actually read a book called... I never remember the names of books, but this uh, was called Gaviatus, a village to empower the... Maybe I don't remember. <laughs> but it was called Gaviatus, which is Spanish for a type of bird. And it's a village in Colombia, South America, that they invented ways to use the playground to pump water. <laughs> yeah. And so they, you know, they would, uh, the seesaw and the merry-go-round pumped water. So yeah. here they're going a step further and making electricity. The organization is making merry-go-rounds that have a clean tech twist. Onboard kinetic energy harvesters that store that energy in batteries for later use. Founder Ben Markham says that a healthy 8 to 12-year-old generates about 150 watts of energy per hour while vigorously playing. I would dispute that information because I have done some tests on how much power you can get from someone. But um, I don't know. Kids are pretty vigorous. Yeah, they are pretty vigorous. You know, it's like... Yeah. Um, if it's a lot of kids playing, yeah. So, and they kind of play off each other, too. But anyway, no matter what, they make a lot of energy. And let's use that energy. All that energy is stored into battery packs, which is then used to power advanced LED lanterns at schools in Ghana, where Empower has provided equipment, kids split into lantern groups and study together at night where before they couldn't study past sunset. The lanterns last about 50 hours on a charge. Yeah, and that's a good plan. I mean, they need to be sure to have all the details working, like, you know, that they're not left high and dry if something breaks or that sort of thing. But it's a good plan. Have the kids play during the day. <laughs> just like, kids, as punishment, you must go out and play. Yes. We need more electricity. 
Yes, go play out there. You have to play before you study. Yeah, just like that's true. They have to play before they study. Otherwise, yeah. there's no lights. You better play now, otherwise you won't be able to study tonight. There you go. Yeah. So, um, today happens to be the anniversary of the Sputnik. It's like yes. Huh. Satellite in outer space. Yeah, this is the 4th of October. The 5th of October is UN World Teachers Day and also balloons around the world. Yeah, teachers are pretty cool. I think we should have a day to celebrate teachers. But in case you forget, if you've forgotten all year, at least celebrate them tomorrow. We also have coming up, we have, <coughs> excuse me, National Diversity Day coming up on Monday and World Smile Day. That's cool. Smile at someone who's diverse. Yes. <laughs> it's just like Diversity makes us smile. Tuesday is Universal Music Day. Let's see. Everyone in the universe celebrating Universal Music Day. <laughs> That's impressive. That takes a, quite a resolution. Apparently, um, what is it? Columbus Day is coming up. The rest of the world calls that, um, well... It's observed, but most of the world calls it Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah. You know, so there's a, there's a balance there. I want to know how I can get lost, find something that someone already found, and become famous for it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like... Become a discoverer. <laughs> Just like... Yeah. Discover someone's mansion. <laughs> Just like... Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool Discover someone's mansion, kick all the people out, and claim it as mine. Yeah. Oh, look at what I found. It's a mansion. I think I'll live here. <laughs> all right. Let's get to some community happenings. We've got coming up tonight, uh, Reflections, Art Buckminster Fuller. This is coming up tonight from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at the Long Branch Coffeehouse. It's a film showing about Buckminster Fuller's life. That's tonight from 5.30 to 7 at the Long Branch Coffee House, downtown Carbondale. It's a documentary featuring footage of Fuller, which has never been seen in any other film. Wow. Yes. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's like... Um, the Peacemaking Tree Project is a new initiative launched by the Nonviolent Carbondale Coalition in, in advance of the 11 Days of Peace, which is coming up October 18th through the 28th. If you would like more information, go to peacemakingtree.wordpress.com. The Nonviolent Carbondale Coalition will review and share proposals, consider ways to implement ideas, and this is inspired by the wishing trees like uh, Yoko Ono's uh, installation at the St. Louis Art Museum. So the Peacemaking Tree Project is a virtual space to share ideas and engage in conversation about creating a culture of peace in Carbondale. More information and about 11 Days of Peace, nonviolentcarbondale.org. All right, coming up tonight, we have the Open Mic Night. That is tonight at 7 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center, 913 South Illinois Avenue. Right, checking that out tonight. Should be a fun time. We also have the Fall Native Plant Sale coming up. That is coming up on Saturday, tomorrow, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Murdale Shopping Center, 915 West Main in Carbondale. Green Earth is partnering with Keep Carbondale Beautiful to bring you high-quality nursery stock native plants just in time for your fall planting. 
test drive for Super Splash on Saturday, October 5th from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Vogler Ford will have it that you can test drive a Ford and raise money for the Super Splash Park. Vogler Ford is hosting test drivers and giving $20 per driver to the Super Splash Park. Um, drivers must be 18 years old. For more information, call 529-4147 or just stop by the lot between Vogler Ford and Lowe's on Saturday morning. Also coming up on Saturday, it's two farmer's markets. We're very fortunate here in Carbondale to have a lot of good local veggies and arts and crafts and such. The first one is over at the West Town Mall parking lot from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. And the second one is over at the the Carbondale Community High School from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Here's a unique event, Blessing of the Animals and Food Drive, on Saturday at 2 p.m. at the Church of the Good Shepherd at 515 South Orchard Drive. Church of the Good Shepherd is hosting a Blessing of the Animals as well as a food drive for the Good Samaritan Ministries Food Pantry. Animals of all kinds, leased or otherwise contained, and their owners are welcome. There will be a short ritual of thanksgiving for all animals that bless our lives, followed by individual blessings of animals. Yes. That is um, over at the Church of the Good Shepherd on Saturday at 2 o'clock. And it looks like we're pretty much out of time. We want to give a quick heads up to two events coming up next weekend. We have uh, the, not this weekend, but next weekend, the 70th anniversary celebration over at Guy House on Saturday, October 12th at 1 p.m., at Guy House Interfaith Center. They're starting at 1 p.m. with an interfaith ceremony, and they're having speakers on the history of Guy House after that, and some music and a reception. And that is 1 p.m. at Guy House. Then later at night, we talked about fracking here in our news stories and in past news stories. Well, there's something you can do about it. There's a frack-free fest. It's a free concert featuring I'm musical performances. I'm glad you said that, because I, I would have messed it up. <laughs> you might have messed it up in a dangerous way. <laughs> It's a free concert featuring musical performances by the Woodbox Gang, Hobo Knife, and Country Graves. It's free. It's in Cobden at the Trail Ends Lodge. It's on Saturday at 7 p.m. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Good deal. We'll see you again on the radio next week. Yes. Live, local, and in your ear. I was going to say face, but... All right. In your brain. If you would like to send us money, thoughts, um, invitations to dinner... Uh, stand-up comedian gigs or um, anything that involves laying down. Yeah. Please send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org.